0: Last week we were studying, when we ended, theology and religion. Now, let's take in more detail what is theology. Now, theology is called in the Scripture the Pharisees. The Pharisees had a lot of rules and regulations concerning the outward behavior of man. They were concerned, as the Christ said, only with, washing the outside of the cup and the dish, while the inside was full of all manner of uncleanness. Here shows the difference between the schools and theology. Theology is concerned with the putting forth a good face. It is based upon mammon. It is based on that the whole purpose of living is to regain a non-disturbed state, possibly after this life, because they couldn't deliver it during this one, and that the greatest ideas are just to please everybody, believe and do as you're told by your authorities, which, of course, are the theologians, and the idea of to behave differently, to appear to be different on the surface. And if one does all these things, one becomes a very excellent Aspect of the unconscious or the conditioned state of being we have referred to as B. Now, of course, there's another kind of theologian which is called the psychologist, psychiatrist, and etc. And they're very interested in weakening B. They want to leave it so that the man can do what he wants to without feeling guilty, without becoming in a state of depression, without getting in a conflict. So it is very interesting sometimes to see a person that subscribes to the ideas of a theology and at the same time to try to relieve their misery goes to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. One is working constantly to increase the power of B, the theologians, and all their aspects. The physician is doing everything he can possible to weaken the power of being. This is to find a very amusing but very pathetic situation which is very common about us. Now, the main idea of the theologian is performance, physical performance in the society. And he, of course, is having you perform, whoever subscribes to it in a way that is based upon instructions given by some authority. Now, each theology has a few things in common, possibly, but they have many things at variance. So it is each, of course, claims it's the one and only true one and that all the others are false and will lead one astray. So, of course, whatever one finally accepts, one must accept that it and it alone is true and that all other ideas of theology are false and will lead one astray, that one has taken great chances to leave the fold and listen to another. No matter how interesting one may find the other, it is dangerous because it will cause one to spend all eternity in a burning hell. And if one does exactly as one believes and is told, one has a chance only of getting into the non-disturbed state where the streets of gold, where everybody has what they want and the way they want it, exactly right, you know. And, of course, all of this is done in public for public consumption. It is seen by all people, and it is a public function. It is an organization that must be supported, and it is ritualistic in performance. Whether the ritual is performed in the church or one performs the ritual all through the day, every day of the week is immaterial. But one is given instructions on behavior. And, of course, the inner state of the man is still in the same old state it always was, fully conditioned, has the conflicts within it, because no study is ever made of the inner man. It is assumed that the man has free choice and can do as he pleases, and when he doesn't do according to the ideal set out for him, he needs to practice more self-improvement. Now, their basic means of practicing this theology is that the watchword of it is work. Keep everybody fully occupied in the work of the institution of the particular theology is based in. So then they, of course, feel busy doing the work of the institution, and this is always called the work of God. Suddenly the institution becomes God, and it really is the God of the person who subscribes to it, because he depends upon it, he makes it important, to believe and do as he's told by his authorities, and we have seen that whatever a man makes important, whatever he depends on, he's made a God out of. So it's possible that it could be idolatry, because it is a man-made organization that people refer to as doing the work of God. One of the major occupations within it is to be able to watch your brother. To see where he gets a speck in his eye. No one recognizing that they have a beam. But everybody is watching everybody else to see how they perform. Nobody understands the inner state of the man. But is he performing and is he agreeing to all the things that we have been taught to believe and do by the authorities of this particular ideology? If one is not, of course, one is a danger and a threat to the entire hive. And one must do something about it. One must throw out these that suddenly pull away their agreement or begin to question anything. Because if they begin to inquire even as to the purpose of living or the purpose of anything, that is to question because all things are answered by the scribes and the Pharisees whoever are the heads of these particular institutions. Because the institution goes on. The heads, of course, being mortal, die now and then, or for one reason or another, they're no longer in charge. But the whole business is to watch your brother. And, of course, the idea of the whole outfit is that it is a flock or a beehive or an order where there is a queen bee and that everything is kept in line, and this is considered to be a successful theology. And, of course, it's usually referred to as religion, but we will get to religion a little bit later. Now, what does the theology demand of its adherents? when it demands human sacrifice. Now, it doesn't mean that they go out and cut people's heads off or cut their hearts out and throw it to the sun or to some other places, but it makes sacrifice of the individual from his time, his effort, his finances, his loyalty, his attention, his agreement, and everything. He must sacrifice any time that he would have to be in self-awareness to find out what is going on within himself. He must sacrifice to the organization to make it immortal, Man is mortal, but the institution is demanding that everybody sacrifice to it to make the institution immortal. And, of course, the longer number of years the institution stays in, the more it can say, see, we are the real one, because then it has had more and more people sacrifice to it. And, of course, the institution is the idol, and everybody brings it sacrifice because The institution is considered to be immortal, and the various individuals that sacrifice to it are are immortal. And sacrifice requires giving up something, and what it really requires the giving up of is awareness, because somebody else is going to tell one what to think, what is valuable, what is true, what is false, and all these things, and one is not allowed to investigate for self. One can only investigate the claims of the institution that will verify that it is true. If one should attempt to investigate for self in some other manner, then one is a threat to the institution, and one has possibly been thrown out of the institution in one form or another. Now let's consider possibly what religion is. In the scripture it is written in the little book of James in the New Testament that religion, pure and undefiled, before the Father, is one to aid them, widows and orphans, in their tribulations. Now widows and orphans are people who have no teaching, no protector, no head of the household. It does not necessarily only refer to ladies who have lost their husbands and children who have lost their parents. It is one that has no one to look over, and that are subject to being exploited and that are rendered incapable of totally caring for themselves. These are widows and orphans. The man in the story of the Good Samaritan that was in the ditch would be considered a widow and an orphan because he at the moment was in great danger and was incapable of providing for himself. So whoever would provide for him was a friend, and the friend is considered to be a friend of God because each human being is an expression of God. So when a person is rendered incapable, whether in psychological, spiritual matters, or physical ones, they're considered to be widows and orphans. And that religion, pure and undefiled before the Father, is to provide for the widows and orphans in their tribulations. Not when they're not in tribulation, because that would be being a do-gooder and would prevent them from having their necessity increased enough to challenge. But when they're rendered incapable of responding to stimuli, then they're in tribulation, and one is to aid Now, that would possibly in some cases aid the person to find information that could start them on their own way again. some cases it might actually be dollars and cents or whatever food or shelter or pay their rent or whatever the case may be. It's to aid the widows and orphans in their tribulations and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, to be spotted by the world is to believe in ideals and self-improvement and having signs and demonstrations that one is improving and blaming when things don't go. Remember, the world is for basic ideas. And those ideas are that there are ideals that people have imagined and that one struggles towards them as what ought to be and what should be. So, the work of Religion is to keep oneself unspotted from death as well as king for the widows and orphans. And most of us have been very spotted. In fact, maybe we've been dipped in and died. This one can certainly say yes, was dipped all the way under and totally covered with the dye, so not just spotted a little bit here and there. But then the job is to get rid of the dye, to get the inner state clean, and so that one is no longer spotted by the world. This is what we do self-observation for, so that we can remove the die-job that's been done and the many spots. And we find that there is tiny little spots here, there, and elsewhere that escape notice as we go swiftly by. And we've been looking the past few weeks at looking for those more subtle spots, the ones which prevent one from experiencing the higher states of consciousness, the states of being, experiencing the spiritual experience of faith, grace, and love. So this is to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now this is what pure and undefiled religion is. It says nothing about attending an organization. It says nothing about joining an organization. It says nothing about supporting any institution. It says simply, possibly, the opposite of that, because the institution is based on the ideals, on ideas of self-improvement, on having signs and demonstrations of various and sundry kinds that this is the right way, and certainly blaming when things go a little haywire. Obviously, if you question it, why, you will be blamed. So then it's possible that that is to be very spotted by the world. Consider it your own observation. Don't take anybody's word for it. And the duty of religion is to give alms in secret only. Now, to give alms is to give aid for the ones incapable of performing for themselves. And it's to be done in secret. Now, as we observed under the world of agape, the kingdom of heaven, the three ways of expressing agape, love, is considerate, being considerate. You would make no one feel in any way that they are obligated to you or that they have been an object of charity and that they would owe you anything because if you were very helpful to someone openly, when they were capable of performing again, they might want to repay it. And, of course, that would only be a transaction of horse trading. So to be considered is to not allow anyone to know that I am obligated to that person over there. And this is whether it be from psychological area, whether it be from the physical area of food, clothing, shelter, rent, etc. The other one is to pray, which means work. Work as we are doing, we have been doing, is a prayer. It is asking, seeking, knocking, to see what is the obstruction to that union with spirit. And it is to be done in secret. In other words, we're not to run around telling everybody what we're doing because then we're really being a Pharisee. We're trying to do things to gain the attention and approval of men, that we are really dealing in some esoteric material and that I'm making great discoveries. This is not prayer. This is praying in public to gain other people's attention and approval. The prayer that counts, the work that counts, is done in secret. That is why we have where you can work all alone. You have your own notes, you have your own reference material, you have your talks, you have your own practice. All of it is in secret. No one else sees it. And you can do it wherever you are. You don't have to have a fanfare that so-and-so has gone to a certain school. One is in school wherever one is. One is praying while one is working and observing the self and observing the things in the world, the man-made world and the real world. One is working. When one is observing conflict, the struggle between what is and what ought to be being valued instead of what is, then one is truly working or praying. And then what is practiced in true religion? The watchword is watch and listen. Pay attention. Pay attention. Be heedful. Observe what's going on. And don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, totally disidentified from the conflict in the world and from any attempt to gain attention, approval, trying to gain pleasure or comfort. One is totally isolated from all that. And the purpose of that practice is liberation, liberation of one from the bondage of conditioning, from the bondage of the four-door basic urges and their six henchmen, such as that one must complain, one is liberated from complaining, one is liberated from blaming, one is liberated from kowtowing, pleasing, one is liberated from accepting any authority. In other words, one is liberated from idolatry. One is liberated from being a hypocrite, trying to appear to be different. So it will gain attention and approval and avoid any disapproval. One is eliminated. Liberated from blaming, one begins to see that freedom is freedom to experience what is and see the value in it. And then there is no obstruction to one's being. There is nothing to fight with, nothing to struggle. One is free, but one is responsible. So one has been liberated from Eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that another way of saying one has been liberated from sin, missing the mark. One has been liberated from conditioning, we would say today. It all has the same meaning. One is liberated from controls, from influences from without, from being hypnotized from being suggestible at every turn of the road. One is still 100% subject to suggestion 100% of the time, but one has been liberated from the control of suggestion, which is quite different. The liberation requires not a sacrifice, but a giving up of the life of conditioning. It is to disidentify from the conditioning state, not something that one sacrifices, but one is something that one is very happy to get rid of. One is aware of having many obstructions to one's real state. And every time one finds one of those bits of conditioning, which is one's life, one lays it down, not as a sacrifice. Under no means is it a sacrifice. It is a cleansing. It is a being cleansed of obstructions to experiencing spirit, starting with little ones and ever growing to greater spiritual experiences. It only asks for mercy, and the mercy requiring towards widows and orphans do have lost their awareness in their tribulation, in their time of conditioned life. It asks mercy to X that one does not allow the conditioned beings to report to it life and that it thereby destroys its body by acting and doing the appropriate thing for the information given. One has mercy on X. One has mercy on all other conditioned beings. One has mercy on everything except Mammon, And one has understanding that the infant decided that the whole purpose of living was to be non-disturbed and even understands that, but no longer agrees with it. The key of knowledge that man has had taken away by the scribes and the Pharisees is the picture of man and the idea of disidentifying. It is seeing accounts receivable that one carries about, and when one recognizes, one drops that tremendous burden. It is seeing the burden of the destructive nature of the unpleasant emotions that one is bound to have when one is expecting things based on the ideas of the world, ideals. It is the teaching, in other words, is the key of knowledge. It was taken away by the various theologians of all time and replaced with ritual with the dead symbol of the real thing. Baptism is to be cleansed of anger, guilt, fear, resentment, insecurity, jealousies, lust, all the things that conditioning brings in when one is struggling towards the illusion of the ideals. And it comes about as a natural spiritual experience. The symbol of it is to be outwardly washed in water. Now, if one only has the outward symbol and not the inner reality. One is, of course, being deceived, and one pays attention to this. One is aware and observes all these things, and one is conscious as to whether one is interested in theology or religion. Religion is man's relationship to God, the individual's relationship to God. Theology, of course, is a practice. It is one of the great games of the four great games of the man-made world. Some words we might read that many come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves going about to seek whoever they may destroy and devour. So obviously most people caught in these, the individual is always unaware of what he's doing. He feels he's doing the right, proper, and justifiable thing for what light he has, even though he's in darkness. And it is not the individual, whether one be the head of an organization of theologians or one be the lowest member. We are not talking about the individuals. We are talking about the basic ideas, the philosophies behind these things. The philosophy behind theology is one thing the idea behind religion is an entirely different thing you see the institution of theology is only the body like the human body and inside is a conditioned being we are only interested in the inner state the inner basic philosophy and is this is what we want to understand we have no fault with any individual We only have compassion, regardless of where the person is in an institution, whether he is at the very topmost head or whether he is the lowest one on the worksheet. They are both caught with the basic idea, the inward ideas of the institution is that of men. And our only effort is, of course, to describe that a person may experiment and find out for self we would trust and hope that everyone would. However, we know that many are so asleep, so dead, that they will never be able to investigate for self. And so they will go on in their theologies. And we are well aware of that. The great teacher said, Broad is the gate, and wide is the way that leads to destruction in many who enter therein. And narrow is the gate, and straighter the way, and few are there who find it. The necessity for finding it seems to be to question the purpose of living as laid down by Mammon from all the ages from the Garden of Eden to the latest child born on this earth. As one observes these things, one begins to see much. It is most interesting. So suppose that as our practical effort this week, that we write down two columns, one theology, the other religion. And let's see what we can observe about these two things, one of which is a counterfeit of the other.